Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Tonight, I, I, I want to just pretend that I'm in your living room. Now, I say that because you wouldn't want to be in our living room, not with a cat. I want you to be comfortable in your living room, and I want to talk to you tonight. Um, I, I know the last couple times I've been up here on a Wednesday night, we have, we have brought in loads and loads, truckloads of scriptures, and we've touched, touched on some heavy topics. But tonight, I, I want to share something uh, that happened this week, and I, I want to draw in some spiritual uh, concepts to that and how, it, how God began to show me a few things. Me and my brother, you just relax, this is the way it's going to be all night. Me and my brother came back from Crandon, oh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we wanted to stop at Culver's. Well, I've, I've been on this diet and I, I had my Weight Watchers app with me and I said, well, what can I eat at Culver's that's not going to shoot the whole thing out the window? And I thought about the thing that I loved most. Culver's Butter Burger. Just the name puts weight on. So I went on my faithful Weight Watchers app and it was 17 points out of 30. That's all I get for the day is 30. 17 points. I think I settled for a cup of George's chili and that was more reasonable. But tonight I want to Make a hamburger for you. Uh, there's going to be this going to be divided a little bit. You know the hamburgers right between the two buns. Well, I'm going to start with the top, and then we're going to get into the meat of the thing, and then I'm going to tie it up with the bottom half. So, just so you know that I'm not confused, I do have a plan. Tomorrow is Lisa and I's. Is that a word? Eyes. Lisa and my. Lisa and my. Wedding anniversary, and it is going to be 43 years together. And um, so I, I wanted her to choose what we were going to do this year, what she wanted to do for our 43rd anniversary. I don't like crowds, and I don't think I have been to the state fair for 20 years. I don't know, I can't remember the last time I went to State Fair because I don't like crowds. And she said, here's what I want to do. Casting crowns is plain Monday night at State Fair. I want to go and spend the day looking at quilts. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to listen to casting crowns in the evening. And I said, I'm going to do that. If that's what you want to do, when we were at camp, what was the speaker in the morning, Rick? Um, Brother, Brother Little said something that really hit me between the eyes. And I'm going to share it with you. This is extra. He said, if you want to have a happy relationship with your wife, find her gift, find her ministry, and encourage her and help her in it. And I thought about what my wife's gift is. 
and it's completely different than mine. She is a Martha. She is a server. She likes to give. And so I decided that I was going to be a little bit more like Martha and a little bit less like Steve. So I said, Lisa, I'm going to serve. I'm going to go with you. And you know, we had such a wonderful time. To see my wife excited, and uh, when we went to the concert, they had another band there. It's one that I'd never heard of, and it was sort of uh, something that I really couldn't get into. But when Casting Crowns came in, uh, the crowd came alive. There were thousands. I don't know how many thousands there were. It would fill the whole racetrack, it seemed, on that side. And there was energy. Uh, I was sitting next to a person next to me, and he was slapping me on the shoulder, and we're worshiping together, and he says, and it was like we developed a relationship, and we didn't even know each other before we came in. And after the first concert, they had to change stages, and um, we started talking, and his name was Joe, and he, he had been in jail, had a rough life, and he had told me a little bit of his story, but I told him, about my salvation. And I said, you know, Joe, I'm a little similar to yours, but let me ask you a question. Have you received the Holy Ghost by speaking in tongues yet? Just curious. No? Well, let me tell you my, what happened to me. Everybody has a what happened to me story. And I watched as I shared how I, how I received the Holy Ghost that, that 45, 46 years ago, I can't remember, uh, off the top of my head, and it was just a, such a wonderful time. I think the highlight for me was I forgot about what church anybody went to. I said, I don't care what they believe. Tonight, I am going to be involved in the energy of worship because we all have one thing in common. We loved God. That was the, the common denominator of everyone that was there and their love was going to heaven and I said, I'm sending my worship to heaven with theirs and I forgot about all the things that separate us. And uh, it was just, just so energizing. Now, that was the first top of the hamburger, Okay. I am going to read something to you. I wrote it. It's, it's something personal. I'll try not to read it word for word, but as I sat and wrote, and wrote this down, my mind went back to the incident that happened years and years ago. It's, I don't know exactly when this happened, but it's probably about five or six years ago. And I, I put a title on it. Matter of fact, I, I like to put titles on things. And I called it Dancing with Angels. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to talk to you and I'm going to read it. Um, it'll take me a few minutes. And then I want to go back to my beginning and tie it all together. Several years ago, I had a very unique experience. At the time, I was somewhat overwhelmed, but not now in hindsight, I can only laugh at the way it all unfolded. I had flown to Denver to spend some time with my dear friend Dieter Scouron. This was not an unusual visit. We would often spend time together as time afforded each of us. 
No, it's kind of funny. The first thing that we always did when we got there, it was, it was just like a custom. He would always take me out to have lunch. And it was always the same type of restaurant. It was a Mexican restaurant. And he would spend weeks figuring out what restaurant to take me to that was unique and had the best Mexican food. Well, the one he'd chosen for our excursion that day uh, was very, um, I'll use the word, unique, to say the least. It, it was very small. It had only a few tables, and the colors were very bright to the eyes, and I looked at all the different colored walls that were around me. And Dieter mentioned to me, he said, uh, don't let the colors of the building scare you. Uh, the food is out of this world. <clears throat> I seemed to hear him say that the last time I came, and he had picked a similar restaurant. That experience, to say the least, did not go well at all. And I'll let you read between the lines on that one. The food that day was quite good. And I certainly had my fill of it. About an hour after I ate, I started to feel ill. This didn't feel like the first time that this had happened. This wasn't like food poisoning. It was very painful in my abdomen. And we, we waited for a while. And since the pain only increased, it was decided that we should probably stop at the emergency room. That was in Greeley, Colorado. They wanted me to spend the night and examine me a little further, but I felt that I needed to deliver what God had given me for the church in Johnstown, Colorado, and I didn't want the devil to win. So the doctor relented and gave me some drugs for the pain, and which I decided that I'd take after I was done speaking. I, I, I remember, as I was writing this, I remember how severe the pain was as we drove into the parking lot at church. I prayed that God would help me through, through somehow to do what he had called me to do. Maybe I thought this was Satan's way of keeping me from sharing the message that God had delivered to me for this wonderful congregation in Johnstown, as I thought as I walked up to the platform that night. I remember the look of the worship leader. He'd been waiting for us to come. He didn't know where we were at. We, he didn't, we hadn't got a hold of him to tell him we were in an emergency room in Greeley. And he kept singing the same song list over and over again, hoping that we'd show up. Sister Carlson, that would be scary. And when we walked in the building, I could see him draw a big breath like of relief. And because uh, we were at least a half hour late. Again, I, I have to admit the pain was excruciating by this time. And However, as I was introduced and I took the pulpit, a miracle took place. As I placed my hands on that wooden pulpit and opened my Bible, all the pain that I'd been experiencing lifted was all gone. And I, in, in, in its place, I felt the very strong presence of God. 
Some of you may relate to exactly that happening in your life. That night, the words seemed to flow from my mouth, and God seemed to provide a very special anointing. However, as soon as I finished and turned to go back to my chair, the the pain came back like a freight train, causing me to grimace and bend at the waist. I took, that night I took as much of the pain medication as I could and it only helped slightly. I remember that Dieter had provided a place for me in his home and all that night I laid awake praying for relief and praying that the morning would come. And some of you can relate to that type of pain as well. In the morning I, I asked for a ride to the hospital Even though I had my own rental vehicle, I I just didn't think I I could make the drive. To make a long, long story shorter, I I spent the next week in a Greeley, Colorado hospital. The diagnosis was diverticulitis. Um, If you don't know what that is, it's a very painful condition where a pocket forms in your colon and that pocket becomes full of infection. And um, it's very dangerous because if those pockets burst, it could cause your body to go into sepsis and you could possibly die. That week they kept me on IV antibiotics and till the inflammation had somewhat subsided and till it was safe for me to, to go back to Dieter's home. That was good news. The bad news was that my friend Dieter had only planned on me staying for three days. I'd already been there a week. And he and his family had made commitments to go up to Vail uh, and have some time up there. And, and the doctor had ordered me not to get on an airplane because of the per- change in pressure might cause that pocket to bust. And he, he said, you, I had to stay out of a plane for at least a week. At this point in my healing, I, I was getting around pretty well. And I wanted to play the masculine hero. It's a guy thing. I encouraged Dieter to keep his commitment to his family. And I told him that if he would allow me, I'd just stay in his house by myself that week. And he reluctantly said he would do that and he provided people to bring food that week for me and they would come usually in the morning and drop something off but let me tell you what preceded my trip to Colorado and I want you to relate to what I'm saying I'd been going through a very dry time spiritually it always seemed like like it is right now in Eagle Every time there was a rainstorm, it was either north of us or south of us. It was funny, the rain would be coming right towards Eagle, and then it would split. And I thought, God, what have I done to offend you? But that was the way my spiritual life was going. I felt so dry. I felt like I hadn't felt the presence of God or had anything that I really, the intimate times that I once experienced with God. I guess to put it this way, I'd long for a personal encounter with God. 
but it always seemed the train I was on was heading in the wrong direction. Now, I'm just sharing this, this personal thing. At that time, I felt like I was slipping into depression. I was still sick. I was physically and emotionally depleted. Now, at this time, I was alone in this big house after I had planned an exciting vacation. It seemed like everything was swirling around the drain. I'll I'll say this again because it was really something I was dealing with. I stress how alone and discouraged I was. I felt like I was all by myself on an island. I was too weak to cry and I was disappointed with God. I had so looked forward to this time with Dieter and the trips we'd planned to his special places in the mountains. I thought instead of a friend, I'd become a burden to him and his family. Well, there I was alone in that house, and I looked around the living area in the family room, which I shared, which was next to my bedroom in the lower level of this house. (laughs) And on the table, guess what I saw? I spied a video and casually picked it up. You know what it was called? Now, it was a VCR, okay? That gives you a little idea of how long ago it was. It was called Home Alone. And I said, God knows where I'm at. And I thought, how appropriate. So I slipped it into the VCR and leaned back and for a time was transported away from my discouragement. When the movie ended, it was just about 12 noon and I decided to lay down. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Little did I know that God had not forgotten about my plans or my needs. He had just decided to change them. I thought I needed a vacation, but God really knew that I needed a spiritual manifestation of his love for me. Really, isn't that the way God often works in each one of our lives? We're asking for something and God knows we need something different. Someone once told me that I, if I wanted to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And remember, our ways are not God's ways and our thoughts are not his thoughts. As I I crawled into bed and laid on my side, I have to confess, I really felt like crying. I'd asked my wife not to come. No use making her miserable as well as I thought, as me, I thought. I felt empty. And again, I emphasize, this is for someone that's listening, even if they're on the internet, I emphasize, I felt all alone. As I lay there staring at the blank wall, I felt as if someone was there with me, laying next to me. I could feel the movement in the bed, and it was almost like so many times at at home, I could feel my wife crawl in next to me. And that's what it felt like. And then, and I'm not making this up, and the Lord knows I'm not making this up, I felt an arm come around my shoulders I have to tell you plainly, I was not asleep. 
and I was not, <clears throat> I was not dreaming. <clears throat> when the arm touched my shoulder, I felt like an immediate wave of peace swept over me from head to foot. Now, I'm not dumb. I might look dumb, but I'm not dumb. I knew what was happening. I knew what this was. It was an angel sent from God to encourage me and to bring me some peace. Just as Elijah was ministered to by the angel as he lay under the juniper tree as he fled from Jezebel, God had saw me in a similar condition all by myself, feeling like I was all alone. God was allowing this messenger from heaven to deliver me an element of peace and encouragement. And what was nice is I fell into a deep sleep, a deep restful sleep that afternoon. Now, from that moment on, things were different in this big old, well, it wasn't old, big new empty house. That load of despair seemed to be lifting gradually from off my shoulders. And near the middle of the week, something extraordinary happened. As I prepared for bed this one night, I did my nightly walkthrough to make sure all the doors were locked and all the lights were off and everything was secure. What's interesting about their house is they had door locks, but they also had deadbolts on each door. And there was no way to open a deadbolt with a key. I crawled into bed and I fell right asleep. And early, early in the morning, I opened my eyes and to my surprise, I heard the sound of music and talking upstairs. Now, my first thought was, I wondered how someone could come in with the deadbolts on the doors. Now, picture yourself. I came to the bottom of the steps. And I don't know whether I wanted anybody to answer or not. (laughs) I called upstairs and asked, Hello, is there anyone there? Don't answer, don't answer. No reply. I came upstairs and I checked the door. Both doors, they were still dead. But what was strange was all the lights were on and the radio, radio was playing. Well, I turned off the lights and I shut off the radio and I stood there in wonder. I know, I said to myself, I made sure everything was off last night before I went to bed. Now, this is the exciting part. I'm standing there in the middle of the living room, scratching my head, and then like a tsame, the Spirit of God came over me, and God allowed me to sense and feel the presence of the angels which filled the room. It was a spiritual epiphany. No, I didn't see them. I sensed them all around me. You see, we sing that song, I Hear the Sound of Angels' Wings. Well, it was almost like I could hear the flutter of those wings around me. And I began to dance and spin and laugh, knowing that God had not forgotten me. I'd asked for an epiphany. I'd asked for him to manifest himself to me and to pull me from the pit that I'd fallen into. And he had found a situation that he could drag me in. 
that I was like Jeremiah, so far buried in the muck that he could be the hero and he could come and take my hand and pull me out. He tried to reinforce in my life that I was never alone. Not for one minute was I ever alone. I had, did that, I had made that mistake back in 2004 again. And I think I've shared this with you, but I'll throw it in here just for good measure. After open heart surgery, I developed pneumonia, and I was a pretty sick puppy for a while, and Lisa had not been to church for probably three weeks. She'd stayed with me uh, the whole time, three weeks. And one, I think it was a Wednesday night, I, I asked her to leave me alone, and go and get something for herself. I said, you've done, went way above and beyond the call of duty. I want you to go to church. But Mr. Strongman, and this is the way that me and Rick were raised by my dad, and my, he'll verify it, we never wanted to show weakness. My dad never showed weakness. He was one tough nut. He wasn't big, but he was tough. So when she got in the car and I heard the drive or the garage door shut, I felt such apprehension because I said to myself, what happens if I start coughing? What happens if I can't stop and I have a problem? I'm all alone. And I looked at, we had this greyhound that we'd rescued from a track. His name was Damien. I didn't name him. He was named Damien. And I looked at him and I said, well, Damien, I guess it's just you and me tonight. And then a voice, as sure as I'm here, spoke in my mind and it said, what about me? I have never left your side. And here was another time in my life where God was verifying in my life that even though I felt alone and even though I felt that everything was going in the wrong direction, that God was preparing a table for me. Remember, the Bible talks, he prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemy. What is, he, what is he saying? He's saying, even in the midst of every single problem that you've got going on in your life, in the midst of every enemy, whether it be spiritual or whatever, God can prepare a delicious meal so that you can prosper even amidst those that are around you that wish you evil. He says, not only will you prosper, the oil in your body, the oil in your cup will overflow. I began to realize that God and his angels had walked me through every aspect of the trip that I was on. None of this surprised God. It was in his plan. I was surprised that I had longed for such, just this sort of thing for such a long time. And this was the type of package it was wrapped in. You are never closer to God than when you find yourself walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You never have a better meal than the one you have in the presence of your enemies. You know, I, I thought about a scripture that would sum it up nice, and Paul said it so beautifully in 2 Corinthians 12 and 12, or 12 and 1. It says this, it's not expedient for me to doubtless to glory, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And then he says, kind of in the second person, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago 
Whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Only God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now notice what he says after that. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my, and he uses the word infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, that means though I desire not to have any problems, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, that he heareth me. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm opening my heart to you. I want you to know that I'm not any different than you are. And I think the words in 1 Corinthians 12 are Paul shouting to our generation, saying, don't think that God gave me anything more than what he's given you. I'm going to let down all of the shell of what you think I might be, and I'm going to tell you who I really am. Lest you should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. He's saying, don't think more highly of me than you should. And he said, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Well, we know where the thorn came from. It came from Satan. And he said it was such, it must have been a very stressful thing for him because I've never seen him as a whiner. He said, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Three times he'd prayed and sought God that it would be taken away. And then God spoke to him. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the, and he uses the word of power, I say we could probably use anointing in that word as well, that the power of anointing of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, the glory is greater than the pain. The trial is never greater than the glory that goes forth to God. And I think at camp, I, I don't know if it was Brother Littles or the, uh, the evening speaker, but he said, when we go through trials, it's not about us. We'd like to make it about us, but it's all about God receiving glory through our trial. And so God receives glory. And if I can remember that even in my sufferings, that God is praised through the way that I handle them or how I live through them, it always makes the trauma and the struggle worth the price. And I thought this this I wrote this morning after the storm last night. (laughs) If you're praying for a cloudburst, of blessings, expect the thunder to roll and the winds of adversity to bring them in. But the sweetest rain comes from the darkest storm. This whole trip was more than what I bargained for. I, 
I never really got to enjoy the beauty of the Rocky Mountains, but I was able to ascend into the hill of the Lord. And there I found beautiful fountains of peace and trees filled with the fruit of renewal, and I came home a different man than I was when I left. But that isn't the end of my experience. If you know me, I can get into more trouble than anybody else. Sometimes I shake my head and I say, God, only I could do this. Only I could get into so much trouble. The time had come for me to head back to Milwaukee. I was flying back then. Midwest Airlines was still in service. And I was going to fly back on Midwest. Now the doctor, when he released me to fly, had wanted me to use a wheelchair at the airport. He said, I don't want you walking that whole distance. It's too far. He didn't want me to jostle that diverticuli in my abdomen unless it was really necessary, lest it continue to irritate itself. And then he said, and by the way, it'll get you through security a lot faster too. That's an added bonus. And when he said that, I said, I'll do it. I'm in. So I went into the airport and I, I picked up my tickets and I had told them when I called that I need a wheelchair to take me to the game. So I got my tickets and I, they brought me a wheelchair and two sky caps uh, who I trusted. Um, I say that again, who I trusted. I gave them my ticket and said, this is where I'm going. And I let them, I'd loaded up on drugs. You know, the doctor says, take this before you go. It'll make your pain a lot less and you'll be a little hazy, but if you let them take you to your gate, you'll be all right. And so I gave my tickets. Now, if you've ever been to Denver, you might be surprised at the size of its airport. I guess I'm a little secluded. It's not like General Mitchell Field. They have subway trains that run between terminals. It's like, to me, it was like being in New York and jumping a train from terminal to terminal. And it, it's quite a big deal for a, a guy from a little town. So the sky caps laughed and they talked in a different language that I didn't know. It sounded like a European, Yugoslavian language. And they dropped me off at this gate and I felt, and it was hard for me to do this, I gave them a tip. I gave them a nice tip. I said, thank you very much. <laughs> I regretted that later. As I sat there in, in my somewhat delirium from the wonderful drugs that I'd taken before I came, I began to realize that there were no people there. And I looked at my watch and I said, the plane is supposed to leave in 15 minutes from Milwaukee. It's a direct flight. I think they would have more people than this. So I took out my ticket and I looked at my ticket and then I looked at the gate. It wasn't the right gate. And then I looked at my ticket again and I looked at my seat number. Like C12 or C3. They took me to my seat number. Not the gate number. I wasn't even in the right terminal. And it was 15 minutes before the flight took off. And my ride had dropped me off. I had nobody there to take me home if I missed my flight. So picture this. 
On the other side of the aisle, there's a lot of people waiting for that gate, and there's kids and all of them there, and I'm all by myself at this gate, and I'm sitting in a wheelchair, and I said, Steve, if you want to make it to Milwaukee, you're going to have to go into the marathon. (laughs) I said, I am going to have to run as fast as I can and get the train, hope that I catch the train that I need to get to the right gate. So I jumped out of the wheelchair, and I started running, which was, and a little girl yelled out, Mama, he's healed. (laughs) I didn't feel healed. And um, I'm running by the the people on the conveyors. I'm running by them. I must have been going 40 miles an hour. The conveyor was going 15, and I was at least 15. I got on the train and I got off the train and I ran as fast as I could to the gate and they were just pulling the door shut and putting the strap across. And I ran up and I said, hold, 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 hold on, hold on. And I said, I gave her my ticket and she said, oh, we were waiting for you, but where's your wheelchair? (laughs) We were expecting a man in a wheelchair. I said, let's just get on the plane. I don't want to explain (laughs) that. And I caught my, my, um, my ride home. So this is where I give you the, the bottom part of the hamburger. I'm going back to my night at State Fair Park. And I was thinking of that in relationship to what I experienced at the airport. I had something like I explained when I started that in common with all those people there. We all love God. We all had a destination. I had a ticket. I had a destination. I had an airport to leave from. Three things we might have had in common, but only one gate had the plane that I needed to catch to my destination. See, in in Denver Airport, There were gates. I don't know how many gates there were. Hundreds? I don't know. I'm just guessing. But only one gate had the plane that would take me to my destination. I could have went to the gate marked John 3.16, but that gate in itself didn't have the plane that was going to where I was going. I could have went to the gate marked Mark 16 and 16, or the one named Matthew 28 and 19. But there was only one gate that would get me to heaven in type, and that was Acts 2.38. Now, I want you to look. We're talking about evangelism. That's all well and good. We're going to hand out tracts. We're going to do this. But no, I want us to change our mindset. We have something in common with all these people in churches. They love God. I remember the leader in, in uh, Casting Crown saying, you know, some of you come from churches where you, we don't wor- you don't worship like this. And I thought about, when he thought about that, I thought about the first group. They were really rocky. She was down there throwing her hair all over the place and doing, I told my wife what it looked like. And it was something I saw in the world and I said, maybe they don't remember that, but I do and it just bothers me. But, But the guy that was the band leader there came from a drug 
induce life. He came from an area where this was more natural. And the styles of music, people may like different styles of music, and I can't let that affect me totally. We all had something in common, but there's one thing that I need to deliver to them, is I need to take them to the right gate. Oh, there's nothing wrong with John 3.16 and there's nothing wrong with Mark 16 and 16, but if if you're wanting to go to heaven, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but it's a ways of death. Jesus said, I am the single way, the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father except by me. There's only one gate. So I say in challenging us tonight, let's look at what we have in common with people that are around us. And let's take them a little further. So, after the concert was over, Joe came up to me and he grabbed my arm and it was like we'd only met two hours earlier and it was like sweet sorrow in in leaving him. It's like I'd made a friend. And he says, he said, Steve, I'm gonna, something like, I'm gonna miss seeing you. And I said, hey, Joe, here's my card. Call me sometime. Let's get together and have a cup of coffee. That's, that's outreach. And I, if you want to know what a, how a person feels, you have to, what do they say, walk in his shoes for a while? Just about every one of us has walked in their shoes that have come I don't think any of us here are lifers. We weren't born into the truth. Maybe someone might have been here. But I've walked in their shoes. I know what desperation is. I know what it was to feel on the bottom. So maybe if I can relate to their suffering where they're at, even the the sinner, that'll give me the ability to want to put my arm around them and take them close to my side and say, I have empathy for you, man. Let's, Let's just talk. I don't need to preach you a message. Not right now. Let's just be friends. Oh no, but some preachers say, don't be a friend of the world. Hello, that's not what Jesus meant. Don't be like the world. Jesus touched lepers. He touched people, dead people. They weren't supposed to touch them, but he wasn't afraid to touch the unclean to make them clean. Now, if you're touching the unclean to be, and you don't care about making them clean, well, that's not what the Bible's telling us to do. So tonight, I don't know where you're at, but maybe it's time for you to dance with angels. But you know when you're going to find those angels? Probably in a dark spot in your life. And so think it not strange the fiery trial of your faith as though some strange thing has happened. And I'm beginning to, and that's why Paul said, I rejoice in my infirmities. For I, when I am weak, then God, then I am strong. That's when God makes me strong. And here I was at my weakest point in Dieter's house, and I felt stronger than when I was healthy, spiritually. I think about some of the people in this church that are going through a really tough time physically. And I feel for them, I... I think I can't put myself in their shoes exactly, but I can feel and have empathy for them. 
But don't be surprised that God isn't revealing to them, himself to them in a way that he hasn't to you. So that's all I want to say tonight. That was just a thought that God had placed on my heart and I thought, oh, let's just have a living room night tonight. And maybe when we go and, and things don't go our way and we're disappointed in what happened, that we can recognize that God has a, a place of epiphany for us. All right, let's stand together. I had a song in my mind, Sister Carlson. And I don't know whether you know, we used to sing it all the time, but I sang it on my way in the car. And I probably got the words wrong, so I need help. But Lord, thou art much sweeter than honey. Lord, you are more precious than gold. Do you remember that one? Could we play that? Oh. That, I like those direct answers. Thank you very much. I tried. I but let's pray together and then I'm just going to release you to come up to the altar. Lord Jesus, um, you are so good to us. Sometimes you even have us stand back and we laugh at ourselves at our silliness and our ignorance and the things of God when you reveal to us the reason for the things that we're going through. And then we stand back and we see how the picture so Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.